Oh. Have everyone's attention. Today is Saturday, July 10th, 2010. The ship is Bird Bible School. Our second period class is being given to us by our brother Matt Norton. Uh, the theme for the week is The Life of Lot, and his talk for today is Deliverance. Taking out Genesis 19. Brother Matt. Hey guys, how are we all this morning? Final day, you sad? I'm sad. Goes so quickly, doesn't it? I can't believe how quickly it goes, you know. Felt like I was only just getting to know you just the beginning of the week. Yeah, sorry. It's a strange joke, didn't you get it? Where are we up to in the life of Lot? You know, it's been 15 years since we saw him. If you are Abraham, it's probably been around 15 years. That's a long time, don't you think? Has anybody got any friends they haven't, well, ex-friends that they haven't spoken to for a long while? Because that friend doesn't want to talk to them anyway. Because they, uh, you've offended them or they've offended you and they just can't, they can't even look at you. They don't talk to you. They don't ring you. They don't write. Maybe you don't do the same. You know, Lot, although he'd done all these things to Abraham, Abraham, as we said, had never still, though he deserved it, Abraham had never yet given up on Lot, not even once. And we meet, we meet Lot. Now, look at this. Let's have a look at this. Genesis chapter 19. Look where Lot is now. I mean, this is exciting. He's in the gate of the city. Two angels come to Sodom in the evening and Lot's sitting in the gate. Now, you see the progression in Lot's life? He has a fight with Abraham. He shifts his tent away from Abraham. He faces his tent towards Sodom. In chapter 14, he's dwelling in Sodom. And then chapter 19, he's sitting in the gate. You see that? So he's really got himself locked in now into a life in Sodom. Does anybody know, what are your suggestions, guys? How come he got the job of sitting in the gate? What's the gate about? Do you guys know what the gate's about? First of all, what happens in the gate? Of a city. Yeah, judgment takes place in the gate, that's true. This is the main place of converse. This is the main place of concourse. People come through the gate of the city. One main gate funnels everybody in and out of the city. There's judges at the gate, authorities at the gate, credentials are checked at the gate, passports are stamped. Decisions are made at the gate of the city. And perhaps Lot has got some sort of, a th- perhaps, and I only say perhaps because we don't know, He's come to the gate of the city. He may be just coming to the gate of the city this particular day. Maybe he's got some civil administrative job in some form, in some capacity. I've got to ask you though, if he does have some civil job to perform and he might have to judge matters of, of uh, civil law, if that's lot, how did he get a job like that? How do you get a, pro- a prominent position in the gate? Has anybody got a suggestion of how that may have come about? 
what events in Lot's life had taken place that would f- cause him to be favoured by the men of Sodom to be given a place of eminence like this? Now, you guys, I could have done with a cappuccino this morning. Usually the girls are really nice and they actually think of other people, like the speaker. I don't want to make you feel bad or anything. I can hardly speak. Had he taken? How would he have got this job in Sodom? I'll probably make it through without the cappuccino anyway. It's all right. Yeah, that's right. Well, not, no, not only that, everybody would have known <coughs> on what basis they survived. Everyone in Sodom, if you were an inhabitant of Sodom, who had saved you 15 years before? Abraham. Everybody knows it was that guy over there in the tents who builds altars and stands for that God. Everyone knew it was Abraham. Who in the city is related to Abraham? That's the point. Everyone knew that Lot was related to Abraham. We better look after Lot. Because if we look after Lot, if we don't look after Lot, maybe things will go bad for us. We'll keep Lot in the city. We'll make sure he's attached to the city. I mean, perhaps if we get into a bit of trouble again, well, old good old Uncle Abraham will drag us out of trouble. And so... They're treating him like the goose that laid the golden egg. They're really looking after Lot. So perhaps that's also in this record here. So Lot's in the gate. You know what? I believe he's in the gate at least with the best of intentions. He wants to change things. I mean, you ask yourself, what has he changed? What's different in the city of Sodom? Anything different? The answer is no. There's nothing different inside the city of Sodom. Nothing yet. So what had Lot achieved? Well, he achieved nothing so far besides giving himself an aneurysm, besides giving himself stomach ulcers. He's stressed out. He doesn't want to be in the city anymore. I believe this is Lot's moment where he finally comes into his own. He wants out of the city. He wants to get out of there. He wants to take his family away. They don't want to leave. His wife doesn't want to go. But he wants to get out of the place. But he can't. There's too many things that are chained in there. But at least I believe he's waiting in the gate for salvation. And there's a quote which we're not going to look at. I want you to do it. Bit of initiative. The word for Lot's name, the word Lot in the Hebrew, only occurs in one other place. Not as a proper noun. Like Lot's found in in, um, Peter and in Luke. But outside Genesis, the word for Lot only occurs once. And it's not his proper noun, but it's the meaning, the covering. And it's in Isaiah 25. You should have a look at that. Because in Isaiah 25, it talks about people who's waiting for the salvation of God. Waiting to say that this is our God. He'll save us. Perhaps we'll get some mercy. Now, do you know what happens in this section? Here come the angels to Lot at Sodom. Here come the angels. Now we know the situation, don't we? 
The angels say they're going to live in the city. Oh, sorry, stay the night in the city. And Lot just goes berserk. He says, you can't. You've got to stay with me. You can't stay the night in the city. Please stay with me. And so in the end, they, after saying, well, come off it. We're right in the city street. And Lot says, you're not. And he's shaking, pushing them. You've got to come to my house. As we'll see in a second. And he gets them to their house. We know this terrible situation when it says, all men, old and young, two generations at least of filthy, perverted sinners come out at night time and surround his house from every quarter, all quarters of the city, and they demand, banging on the door, demanding to bring the men out to him. Now, have hands up who's ever had a problem with Lot offering his daughters? Hands up if you haven't had a problem with it. Hands up who don't even know about it. Hands up whoever has heard a lot. Okay, thanks. You've got arms. Look, I'm a father, okay, guys? I've always looked at it, it. Until I studied it, I looked at that. Actually, I couldn't even look at it. I just knew about it. I thought, I can't even understand that. How could a man offer his daughters instead of the men that come to his house? Well, I'm going to say to you, this is my explanation, okay? Now, listen carefully to this. I don't believe Lot was offering his daughters. I believe it was a stinging and a cynical rebuke to the men. He actually came out of the door, shut the door behind them, and he says, you're all wicked. I've got two virgin daughters in my house. Why don't you have them? And it was a cynical rebuke. You filthy perverts, you shouldn't want these men. And I'll tell you, that's the reaction of the men. They take lots uh, words as a stinging rebuke. They don't say to themselves, well, on one hand, we have his two virgin daughters, and on the other hand, we've got the men that's in his house. Which one, which one will we choose? They say, who do you think you are to rebuke us? What, you're going to be a judge now? Judging our lifestyle and our choices? And they go for his throat. In fact, what does the word say there when it says they pressed him sore? Can you guys read that verse for me? It's in Genesis 19. Do you want me to find it for you? It's in verse 9. Somebody read that for me, please. They said, listen, get back. When we're finished with these guys, it's going to be worse for you. And they pressed him sore. The word press sore, the word press means to peck, to peck. And I think they were actually punching him and rioting. They lynched him. They started to kick him and to beat him. And the angels reached open the door and through the door, recovered light and brought him inside, probably with blood running down his face. And he finally stood up for the truth finally now that little phrase do you want to take a note of this where it says they pressed him sore it's exactly the same phrase in verse 3 can somebody read for me verse 3 please guys okay see that 
they pressed him, he pressed them strongly. So Lot's going, no, 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 you can't, you can't. And they said, listen, Lot, we're okay in the city, okay? And Lot jumps in front of them and says, you can't stay in the city, in the street. You've got to come to my place. And the men that late night, they pressed him strong and pushed him and shoved him. And over here, this evil, wicked group of citizens of Sodom, they're using all their heart, mind and soul and strength to, in one extreme for evil and right down the other end, the polar opposite, is Lot. Using all his heart, mind, soul and strength, finally now the veil off for good. And he's pushing them, pushing them to stay. Hospitality, unleavened bread, a fellowship meal. Stay in my house. Can you see that? We can either use our powers, you guys, you can use all your intellect and all your resources for you. I mean, God gave them to you. You can use them for whatever you want. But they're not yours. They're God's. He wants you to use all your power for him, for righteousness. Woe is the day, young people, when God finds out that we're using our resources and the power and the strength and our personalities for evil. Look at Lot. This is what I believe Second Peter chapter 2 righteous lot is let's have a look at this actually before we go there before we go there I want to show you a chapter which we haven't even looked at by the way I'm really amiss here it's Luke 17 in Luke 17 we read this now this is interesting has anybody ever had a that one of those moments when finally the penny drops and they go yes finally I got that you ever had one of those moments moment of daylight where you finally understand something like or see it in a light that you've never seen before well here Luke 17 happened to me days of Abraham the days of Lot the days of Noah let's let's check this out together look what it says verse 26 as it was in the days of Noah It'll be like that in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Verse 28, likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, building and planting. Now here's the question. It says the days of Lot. Who was the more famous contemporary living in his day? Why doesn't it say, as it was in the days of Abraham? What do you guys reckon? Why doesn't it say, as it was in the days of Abraham? Exactly. Abraham didn't live where Lot Lot lived. He chose different days. Lot's days were completely different to the days of Abraham. Let's... Okay, before I put it up, the days of Abraham, I want you guys just to ask yourself this question. Whose days have you chosen to live in? You got the days of Lot in your life going on? Or you live the days of Abraham? Tell me, guys. I want some descriptive words now. What would it be like to live in the days of Abraham? Describe it to me. I'm Abraham. Tell me what my days and my living is like. Hmm? What's it like to live in the days of... Guys up the back, come on, give us an answer. Sorry to wake you up. Was it a bad dream? 
Come on, what's it like, guys? What would it be like to live amongst the tents of Abraham? Simple life, yep, okay, excellent. Simple life, what else? Yeah, you'd be separated. What would you be doing if you're living amongst the tents of Abraham? Tending the sheep, you'd be acting like a pilgrim. What, what about in regards to the truth? You'd be preaching the truth. Were people getting converted? Was it exciting living in the ecclesia in Abraham's day? Preaching the truth, teaching people first principles, teaching children who were newly born, who had been born in the house, about God and the covenants and what it's like to live in this ecclesia and how good it is to be um, attached to the covenant and how this land, God's going to give it to all of us because we're the seed of Abraham. The days of Abraham were settled and prosperous and contented. Sometimes they had to draw their swords and fight for the truth. There were exciting times and times of stress, but the days of Abraham on, on a whole were great days. They're the days you'd want to live in. What were the days of Lot like, guys? You chose to live in the days of Lot. Frightening days, terrifying days. What else? What was your ecclesia like? Absolutely stressed out of your mind. Exactly. Rushed, hurried days. Oh, but at the same time, they had a lot of time for idleness and eating, abundance abundance of fullness of bread and idleness and buying this and selling that. But what about the ecclesia? Where were all your friends? Well, none of your friends were in the truth. There was no truth in Sodom. There was no ecclesia left. There was no Sunday school. There were barbecues outside and business meetings to attend to. People were stressed out of their mind living in the hurried, rushed, crazy life on the in Sodom, the days of Lot. Look at that, wine, dine, drank themselves stupid. What a top place to live. What days do you guys want to live in? What days do you think will get you to the kingdom? The days of Abraham or the days of Lot? You see, you've got to choose to live the days of Abraham. And does anybody think I'm saying you've got to leave the city? I don't, I'm not going to leave my town in which I'm living in, but I've got to make priorities. To choose to live the life of Abraham means I choose to prioritise God first, the truth first. I choose to put God and my brothers and sisters up front in my life. I choose to love them, attend the meetings, make wise choices in regards to where I'm going to live, what ecclesia I'm going to go to, how I'm going to assist my brothers and sisters in the truth. When somebody asks me, will you teach Sunday school? I'm going to say yes. But that means I'm going to have to study every single week. Yes. That's what it means to choose the life of Abraham as it was in the days of Lot. Brothers and sisters and young people, you know what I used to think? I used to think the days of Lot were days in which, well, we're just all living in the days of Lot. There's no, there's no choice, but there is a choice. The days of Noah are different. It was universal. Noah preached and nothing changed. If he didn't preach, it'd still be the same. 
But the days of Lot are different. You can choose to live the days of Abraham or you can choose to live in the days of Lot. Now, as I said, this is Lot when he comes into his own. Look at this. Don't worry about that. The righteous Lot. Here it is. This is this is Lot, I believe, now. Out of Second Peter. I mean, just look at that list. Have we seen Lot like this before? This is Genesis chapter 19, Lot. Second Peter chapter 2 says he was righteous. And I've asked the question to you guys a few times. Well, when was he righteous? Now, look at... Look at this. This is what I believe. He's now sitting in the gate. And we alluded to, you guys can check out Isaiah 25. I believe he's there as a righteous man, stressed out. He's got a furrowed brow and he's looking really, really worried. And people walk past him and say, what's wrong with Lot? He doesn't normally look like this. He's stressed. He's trying to get out of the city. He wants to find God's mercy, hoping in his salvation. Verse 1, it says he runs down and bows to the men that are coming to him. Bowing to them. When was the last time Lot ever bowed down to anybody? Did he bow to Melchizedek in chapter 14 when Abraham worshipped Melchizedek? Yeah? No, Lot didn't bow down there. Does anybody think too, how did Lot know that these men were different who came into the city of Sodom that night? Why did he choose those ones to bow down to? What do you guys think? Yeah? Exactly. Well, tell me, what do you think the men of Sodom would look like? Punsy wusses walking into the street. The filth and utter rubbish that would have filed past Lot every single day. These men looked nothing like that. They walked differently. They spoke differently. They obviously just, their appearance was different. Maybe they, they were dressed perhaps like those from the tents of Abraham. He knew they were different and special. Boy, I've got to look after these men. He bows down to them. Look at this. He shows love and he's concerned because he presses them sword to not allow them to stay in the street. He could have said, well, fine, it's up to you, off you go. No way. Maybe in his life he had a wish somebody had pressed him sore and stopped him from making a bad decision. Rosie. Just everyone note for a second, this is the first question for the whole week. I'm really excited, okay? <laughs> Who knows? I reckon he's probably praying for God to get him out of the place, praying for God to release him, and maybe he's there waiting, praying, hoping for deliverance in any form. Probably. Who knows? He hasn't spoken to his uncle Abraham for perhaps 15 years. Imagine how excited he would be to see this. I think that he doesn't know they're angels, though. He entertains them unawares, like Hebrews 13 tells us. But he knows there's something seriously different. Maybe it's a message from Abraham. Who knows? Who knows? Where were we up to? Did that answer your question? I'm so excited. It was a question. (laughs) Hospitable. He gives them unleavened bread. What's unleavened bread like? I mean, you could tease ideas out here, couldn't you, that this is a religious fellowship meal, that Lot now is acting in a way which 
gee, this is uncharacteristic. We haven't seen Lot in this same form. And he hands unleavened bread to these men. Oh, when Lot's preparing the food in his house and showing hospitality, what's missing? She's not there. But Abraham and Sarah together are showing hospitality to the angels. But where's Mrs. Lot? Is she even in the house? I don't know. Maybe she's out shopping. Who knows? Who knows what she's doing? But there's no record of her. Is she a problem? Yes. Does she have issues? Yes. Whose fault is it that she's got issues and problems? I reckon it's Lot's fault. Who took her down to Sodom again in the first place? Who kept her in the city? Who raised the children in this environment? Lot's the brother. Lot's the father. Lot's the husband. It's his choice. It's his fault. Shows brotherly love and bravery. They're knocking at the door wanting these men. He goes out and he suffers. He even tries to proclaim the truth. By saying, don't do so wickedly, he tries to turn them from their way. He tries to convert his sons-in-law to come with him. We've got to get out of the city. He suffers for the truth. And we're going to see he acknowledges the grace of God and Lot, the righteous Lot, did not look back. God said, don't look back and Lot was going for his life. And off he went. He wanted out of there. And I believe his heart was no longer in Sodom. He snapped out of it, that hypnotising persuasion of the days of Sodom and Gomorrah when everything's there, all the silver and the gold which promised him a life of luxury only turned out to be a life of stress and recklessness. He'd lost his wife. We're going to, he, he practically loses all his family. His daughters, he's humiliated. He loses his staff. He loses his occupation, his business, his money, his dignity. He loses his integrity, his credibility. No one in Sodom even listens to him. And he even loses, this is not the way I'd write the end of the book, he even loses his opportunity to reconcile with his brother Abraham. It's a really sad picture. If I was writing the story of Lot, I wouldn't have ended it like this. At least we have that to see. At least there's a bit of good there that's trying to hold on. And we're all a bit like Lot. We're all a bit like him. As I said the other day, he had good intentions. And so the angels say to him, if you just go back now, the angels say to Lot, come on, get up. Let's get going in chapter 19. You've got to get out of here. Haven't you got anybody else? And he can't get his sons-in-law out of bed. He can't get them to leave the house. Can you remember anybody else who was trying hard to get somebody else out of bed? Remember Abraham's brother meant the snorer, Nahor? Abraham couldn't get him to leave Haran. So Lot's now in the same situation, desperately trying to get his children out of the city. And everyone's just yawning, <laughs> laughing out loud at him. You're a great big joke, Dad. We've never heard you talk like this before. That's a good one. Can't wait to tell the boys in the office tomorrow. Lot was just blowing his mind trying to get him out of there. 
trying everything. They don't want to listen. Young people, don't let yourselves get to that extent where somebody can stand here and talk to you and you're just going, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're not listening. Let it sink in. These times are important. The days of Lot aren't days that you go and want to live in. The days of Abraham are the ones you want to choose. Now look what happens. They take him. They actually grab him by the hands and they drag him out of the city. Drag him out. Drop him and his wife and his two daughters at the gate of the city. And Lot's now, he's here. What is he going to do? And they say, Lot, go. Just get going. Where to? Get up to the hills. I can't. I'm too scared. If he had fled up to the hills and over the hill, what would he have found? Abraham. If he had just kept running over the hill and far away, he would have ended up in the tents of Abraham. Sorry, Father Abraham. I want to reconcile with you. My two daughters are here. They need husbands. I'm coming back to the truth. I'm coming back to God. I want to be in the covenant relationship with you. I'll submit to whatever ritual God asks. But he's scared. He says, I don't want to go up there. A wild beast might devour me. Look. There's a little city over here. Sodom's big and rough and tough and terrible, but there's a little one, Zor. Please let me go there. Just a little city. And the, the angel is actually patient enough. Like I'd sit there going, Lot, get going. If you don't get going now, I'm going to put you back in the city. He even manages to negotiate, because God's so merciful, a city that has a bullseye on it that's earmarked for destruction. It's salvation. God's going to blow Zor out of the ground but because Lot pleads with him. He says, okay, I'll spare that city. Off you go. I can't even believe that. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't give him one more inch. God's so merciful. And even in this negotiating, I believe now, Lot, what are you doing? It's His wife has time to reflect. And snap out of it. What am I thinking? I don't want to leave this place. And we we rebuke her and we criticise her. But young people, you think about it. It was her city. It was where she lived. All her friends were there. This is where her children grew up. Her special things were in the house that she and her husband had actually built together. She didn't want to leave. And whose fault was that? I believe it was Lot's fault. Fellas, when you guys grow up, you've got to be leaders, not wusses. Lead. Go the right way. Make the right choices. It was his fault that she didn't want to leave that city. And when it says she turned into a pillar of salt, it wasn't like in some Indiana Jones movie when she's running like this, she goes, clink, and she it turns into a pillar of salt like that. She no more turned magically into a pillar of salt than it says of Sodom and Gomorrah in Second Peter chapter 2 that God turned the cities into ash. He didn't just go, you know, abracadabra. He blew the biggest hole in the ground that the world's ever seen. That's how it turned into ash. And that's how she turned into salt. Fire and brimstone in that place. Because when she looked back, it's not just a... Just not a tiny little glance backwards. God wasn't saying to Abraham, don't watch the fireworks. 
He was saying to him, get out of here and don't get back to this place. Get your heart out of there. When she looked back, it's a careful, sustained, desiring look, a glance that says, I want to go back. And I believe she did go back. And because she went back and stopped and Abra, and sorry, Lot and his two daughters got behind a rock and around a corner and out of sight on their way to Zor, mum's not here, she'll be on her way, don't worry, let's go, press on. She went back and when God blew the place up, she was overwhelmed by that destruction. That's how she turned into a pillar of salt, blown away. Luke 17 says, if you're on the rooftop, Don't go back into your house to get your stuff. And the next words are, remember Lot's wife. It was more than just a look back. Genesis says it was a look back. Luke 17 says she went back. She went back to get her stuff. She went back because her heart was back there. She went back because all her friends, everything she owned was back in that city. And you know what? She loved the big city lot with all the credit cards. She didn't want the small time, little, tiny, bitty lot in a little tiny city called Zor. She wanted to live in the big, strapping, luxurious city of Sodom. And even worse, what if my husband got the idea that he wouldn't, didn't even like Zor and he wanted to go back and live in the tent with Uncle Abraham? She could never have that. What does Abraham do the next day when it blows up? It says he gets up early in the morning. Why was he even bothering? The deal is sealed. He goes and looks from the place where he left God the the day before and he looks out and he sees the plume of smoke going up. What does that mean? What does the plume of smoke rising up to heaven mean to Abraham? Yeah, there weren't even 10 people in the city. He'd negotiated for the salvation of the cities if there were 10 righteous and God had now brought his destruction upon the cities and Abraham looks and he goes, there weren't even 10. I started at 50, optimistically, and now I see there's not even 10. What am I doing? And he would have scouted around and looked for... Looked for a saviour, sorry, a um, a survivor. Looked for somebody to come and tell him, Lot's okay, it's all right. Lot, where are you? He's looking around and there's nobody there. And we're led to the natural assumption, young people, that Abraham never finds out that Lot survived. Think about that. We know that he had Emin and Moab as his children and Isaac and Jacob would have found out later that Lot did survive but there's no record of us ever finding out that Abraham knew that his son in the faith actually made it out of the city and that in fact there was only one righteous one. And so you've got the final chapter to look forward to. You ever think about the the judgment seat of Christ? Lot's there and Abraham's there. How surprised will Abraham be to see his son in the faith Lot? I'm shocked, I'm surprised you're here. And Lot races across and falls at his feet and says, I'm so sorry, Father uh, Father Abraham. I never reconciled with you. And he tells him the story how he stayed in the cave. And he shouldn't have. He should have come back to the tents. He's like the prodigal son that never comes home, young people. Get back to the tents of Abraham. I should have come back to you and said, I'm sorry. 
Everything you did, I did the opposite. I chose wrongly in my life. People warned me that I made the wrong choice. And Christ turns to Abraham and says to him, Abraham, I know you're surprised, but do you know why Lot's here? Lot's in the kingdom because you never gave up on him. Because of all your love, your incessant love for your son Abraham, uh, for your son Lot. All those prayers, all those intercessions on his behalf, all the things you did, that's why he's here. And I often think too, when the angels stood there ready to take Lot out, if Abraham hadn't offered the prayer the day before saying, please don't slay the righteous with the wicked, get them out of there. That if Abraham hadn't have said that, perhaps the angels would have said to Lot, we're going, you're coming or not, and walked out and left him there reluctantly not knowing what to do. But because of Abraham, the angels reach across and they grab Lot by the hand. They can't wait any longer and they drag him out of the city physically. If you look up Genesis chapter 19 and verse 29, it says, in the day when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, it says, he remembered Abraham and he brought Lot out. And so we're told that because of the love God had for Abraham and the esteem and respect he had for him, that's why he saved Lot. Hey guys, what about your friends? Can you imagine getting to the judgment seat of Christ and Christ saying to you that that's, that girl over there, that young person or that family, they're only going to be in the kingdom because you never gave up on them. All those letters of encouragement you kept sending when everybody else said you're an idiot, why you bother with them? They don't even want the truth because you never stopped praying for them and because you never stopped doing good things for them. They were managed just to get over the line. By grace, we've all been saved. Imagine Christ saying that to you, young man. They're in the truth, they're in the kingdom because of what you did. See, that's our love that we experience from God. Abraham learnt that type of love from his heavenly father who never gave up on him, who always had patience with him. The love that Christ has for us is the reason why we're all going to be in the kingdom, guys. Any of you guys going to get baptised? Are you actually planning for that? Are, are you actually planning in your life to put yourself second for the rest of your life and put your brothers and sisters and God first? Are you planning to get baptised so that you can actually now work in your ecclesias and say yes, yes, and volunteer for acts of service to assist out of love? I mean, it's only right, isn't it? Not out of duty but as a natural reaction because of, the shown to you, because of the love shown to you. Is that what you guys are going to do? You're going to make that decision. You're going to make it this week. You're all old enough to start doing first principles and to focus on it. Go then in that direction. Go that way. I mean, I, you know the life of Lot at the end? What does it mean to you guys? I haven't got all the answers for it. I don't know why he stayed in the cave. I don't know why the things that in the cave actually happened. I don't understand why he didn't get out of that cave and go and reconcile with his brother. But we know that an offended brother is harder to win than a city. If there's something that you can't do to win your brother over, don't give up. Even when everybody else criticises you and say, say to you, it's not worth wasting your time, 
never underestimate the power of our Heavenly Father to recover somebody. Think about that, guys. So when you choose the life, when you leave Shippensburg for yourselves, choose a peaceful life. Choose a life that's not at variance and striving with your brothers and sisters. Choose to say yes. Choose to be willing. Choose to help. Choose to put up your hand and volunteer. Choose to show brotherly love. Choose to put yourself out. And choose not to be offended when someone says boo to you. Don't be offended. Choose to say, I'm going to work with that brother and sister as best as I can and I'm going to be faithful and incessant in my care and in my prayers for that person. Choose to try to deliver your brethren. Choose to put your little gadgets away and wake up and go, oh, there's other people here. Choose to live the life of Lot. Oh, sorry, the life of Abraham. Cancel that, that phrase out. Cancel that comment. Choose to live the life of Abraham and not the life of Lot. Yeah, think about that, guys, how important that is. There are other people in this world. You know, do you actually do you get a picture of everybody here? Like a special picture of the, of the teens at Shippensburg? Do you guys do that or not? really sad I suppose but say if you did have you guys ever got a picture of a young people's group before that you're in who's the first person you look for in the picture who's the first person exactly you always look for yourself why and then you start to critique how you look and then you might get all out of sorts because you didn't look that good especially if you're picking your nose you go oh my goodness can't believe they caught that on film that's <laughs> shocking but I'll tell you what I always do this is the best thing, right? You focus in on yourself on that picture to the detriment of everyone else in that, in that photo. So what you do is you get one of those um, Sharpies, the black pens, just colour out your face so you're gone, you're not there. And then what happens miraculously is other people appear in the photo who you've never noticed before. There's this photo that I thought was just of me. Because I thought the earth revolved around me. I thought it was all about me. And the ecclesia was here for me. It's not here for you. Cross it out and then you see all these other people. And then you start to notice them. And maybe if you notice them, young people, then you can start to help them and do something for them to help them along to the kingdom. That would be choosing the days of Abraham. Are there any questions, guys, about the last bit of Lot's life and the things he did? Questions you guys want answered? As you can see, there are a lot of unanswered questions. We could go further about his descendants and his daughters and his attitude. I only submit to you because I think this is the second Peter. This is the second Peter lot who's now righteous, who is now ready. He's waiting for a moment. You know, you finally make that choice. 
that's it, I'm going to stand for the truth. And you're waiting for a catalyst, waiting for a moment. Somebody at work who you haven't said anything to before, as soon as she says it this time, as soon as she asks something about what I did on the weekend, I'm going to stand up and say it. This is the lot who's gone to the gate, I believe, to wait for God. He's wanting salvation. He's hoping in God's mercy. He just needs something. And he sees probably what he thinks are men from the camp of Abraham. That's it. Bang. And he does it. I think he's ready. I believe I'm a Christadelphian and I went to church on the weekend. Or if you don't, you know, if that's as comfortable as you can get, come out and say, I went to my ecclesia. I'm a Christadelphian. And they go, what? You've been here for two years. I didn't even know you were religious. There's a story about a young fellow at home who actually got interested in a girl outside the meeting. And uh, they were nearly going out. And he'd always shoot off on a Friday night and she couldn't contact him on a Sunday. And he'd always fob it off and never tell her why. And they knew each other for over two years at uni. Two years! And she was getting frustrated because, you know, he kept putting her off. And, they, and she really wanted to go out with him. And he wasn't quite ready to make the decision. And they're in the car and she reaches down and finds this bit of paper and it's a youth group program. And she's going like, what's this? He grabs it out of her head trying to hide it. And he's, she's like, no, give it to me. You go to church, do you? She couldn't believe he actually was a Christadelphian, went to youth group. I want to come too, she says. So she ends up becoming a Christadelphian. Now that's one weird way of preaching. I'm not saying do it that way. That's pretty hilarious. I mean, that's not the way we want to go. But that's it's the uncanny things that happen out there. Better off coming clean, saying up front, yeah, I am a Christadelphian. Come to youth group. All right, guys, thanks. We've had a good week with you all too.